It's a question of inspiring, of reimagining a future that is inspiring, a story of ourselves that is inspiring, that is not humans are ending the world. They are depleting everything. We are the worst species in the world. We're not. We're also the most beautiful one. We're also the most complex one. We are also the most biodiverse species. And we have the most sophisticated brain capacity to synthesize information in the entire planet and with mm. the fastest and the one that connects, connects in the most sophisticated way. So yes, we have a big ability for being very sh shady for a lot of obscurity in the bad sense of obscurity for a lot of destruction. But our ability to emerge light is equally big. Hello and welcome to Planet Critical, the podcast for a world in crisis. My name is Rachel Donald. I'm a climate corruption journalist and your host. Every week I interview experts who are battling to save our planet. My guests are scientists, politicians, academics, journalists and activists. They explain the complexities of the energy, economic, political and cultural crises we face today, revealing what's really going on and what they think needs to be done. These are the stories of the big picture. Go to planetcritical.com to learn more and subscribe. My guest this week is Isabel Cavalier. She's a Colombian changemaker who envisions an equitable transition towards a clean, just and regenerative economy. Isabel is a former diplomat for Colombia, and she represented Colombia as a delegate in the UNFCCC. During her time there, she helped create the women-led independent alliance of Latin America and the Caribbean. Since leaving international politics, Isabel has co-founded Transforma, which is a Bogota-based think tank on the climate and ecological crisis. She still sits on the board, but she's soon launching Mundo Comun, a new project which is all about culture. How to create systemic change by inspiring individuals to transform their culture within themselves, their locale, their local politics, and how they relate to the world. Isabel talks about how cognitive dissonance is the mark of our time, how top-level politics is disembodied, and that in order to combat the climate crisis, we're going to have to heal our relationships with ourselves, with each other in the world, and that will involve an embodied politics, a politics that connects, invites togetherness, collectivity, well-being, and community autonomy. Isabel has a lot of hope for our world, explaining that systems change is not linear, and thus culture change is not linear. She also gives a vision for how the world could look like. A future in which we're cleaning up the mess that we've made and in doing so, situating humankind as a custodian of nature and of one another. This is a wonderful and inspiring episode and I really hope you all enjoy it. If you do, please share it far and wide. And if you're loving the show, support Planet Critical with a paid subscription at planetcritical.com. By signing up, you'll get the Planet Critical newsletter inspired by each episode delivered straight to your inbox every week. You'll also have access to the wonderful Planet Critical community who are full of inspiring thoughts, ideas, critiques, and determination. I'm so grateful to everyone who chooses to support the project. I'm a vehement believer in ad-free and open access content, so Planet Critical wouldn't exist without the direct support of the amazing community. Thank you so much to all of you who believe in Planet Critical and keep the project going every week. Isabel, thank you so much for joining me on Planet Critical. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you, Rachel. The pleasure is mine. Thanks to you and to all of the audience listening to us today. Yes, thanks to them too. What an important note. <laughs> so could you give us a quick swing, if that's possible, through your diplomatic career, going up to the founding of Transforma, the climate think tank, and then we'll go from there. 
Sure. So my uh, diplomatic career started uh, back in 2011 when by, um, well, I really wanted to have an international experience and a government experience. And a very good friend of mine and mentor, Paula Caballero, hired me for the Colombian Ministry of Foreign Affairs to uh, hold the climate portfolio. But then I was not really into any environment or climate uh, deep interest, but that really brought me home. Um, and then I spent the following several years, I think all the way up to 2017, in and out of the Colombian Ministry of Foreign Affairs, but also advising the group of countries that was conformed during those years, the Independent Alliance of Latin America and the Caribbean ILAC um, in the UNFCCC. But also after that, um, for a couple of years, I also advised the Colombian mission to the UN in New York on all of their sustainable development portfolio. So that was like a big, in a big brush, the years I did uh, work as a, as a diplomat. That stopped back in 2017 when I joined the Mission 2020 team working with Cristiana Figueres and other beautiful human beings. Um, and at the same time founded the think tank uh, based in Colombia with another two amazing women, Transforma, um, that was dedicated to uh, climate and ecological transitions uh, policy in Colombia and Latin America. Um, so that was back then in 2017. Now life has changed quite a lot. I um, I have been working as an international expert on climate politics for since 2019 until now. And, um, and I have uh, also recently just founded another initiative called Mondo Comun that has nothing to do with diplomacy. Uh, but everything to do with climate. We can speak about that later. Okay. Um, could you define climate politics actually for us? And we'll get into that because obviously what we're seeing on this sort of uh, international political stage is an inability for countries to come together and, you know, negotiate correctly and take dis unilateral and bilateral decisions. Um, so what is the geopolitical landscape of climate politics looking like? Well, I think mm -hmm. that is one side of the perspective to see that countries are unable. Um, my sensation is that countries have been Im impressively able also to agree to a ton of things. Um, when you are inside uh, an, uh, a multilateral negotiation, you realize how hard it is for so many countries to agree on anything at all. So having agreed to to anything, but including to the Paris Agreement, which is pretty outstanding, um, is, is, um, is a really hard thing to achieve. So I think, I think we actually have seen a lot of progress. And if we were to imagine the world without the agreements that we have seen, I think it, we wouldn't be in a better world. You asked me what is climate politics, and I would say it is, there are many potential definitions of it, but if you look at it from the global perspective, it is all of that um, exchange of power and relationship related to how we will, as a humanity, address the climate crisis um, and the decision-making that goes along with it. Um, that obviously has a level that happens at the international stage where state, um, as in national state, <laughs> take decisions on how we will cooperate to address that crisis as a world, 
but that then has a cascade of levels all the way down to the micropolitical stage of how we decide in our communities. And all of those levels are truly important for addressing the climate crisis. Um, that is why, um, and because all of those levels are important all the way even to the individual and how we understand ourselves in the world as individuals, I think that is why my trajectory has moved all the way from working at the global level with the negotiations of the UNFCCC or the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change um, during all of those years and while Paris was negotiated, etc., down to today, 2023, when I'm founding Mundo Comun that is dedicated to how really we change our culture, our cultural patterns, so that we can actually address the climate crisis from the deepest root causes of this crisis that are well beyond just deciding um, on how we will share a public resource, as in the atmosphere or the ability to um, move economically um, to another place where we are right now, but really into the deeper identity definition of us as humans in the world that are now defining how the earth um, is evolving as in, in the Anthropocene. So um, all of those levels are political. All of those levels involve power in some way and decision-making that then creates ripple effects in, in our material reality. Gosh, there's so much there. Um, <laughs> the first question that comes to mind is, okay, yes, pro progress has been made, but certainly what we've seen is like the Paris Agreement was a wonderful piece of legislation at the time however there are no bi there's no binding legislation it was pledges that are made and we're bursting through all of the budgets that were set there uh, which is why a lot of activists are sort of saying you know keep 1.5 alive while we can even though already this year we're looking at potentially bursting through 1.5 is the global average temperature increase um given the heat waves that are taking place in asia right now and it's only april um mm -hmm. you talk about culture i mean this is something that comes up a lot on the show is like the, the, our very sort of, yes, identity um, as homo economist or economicus or somebody will correct me on that, um, has to change. Why can't that cultural change happen at the top? Why is it that yeah. politics seems to be quite far behind when you compare this with the mm -hmm. grassroots organizing and, and um, movement that are taking place all around the world to tackle these issues? I love your question. Um, I wish I had a straightforward answer. Um, hmm. Yes, I agree. It, Paris was a great piece of legislation for its time and the world has changed a lot since 2015 hmm. in many different directions. I think when you are observing our world nowadays, it's both frustrating because you both see that emissions keep on rising and we keep on hmm. depleting from our ecosystems and ourselves. And it's also true, <laughs> we've never seen so much progress in terms of how, how ubiquitous mm -hmm. the climate narrative is in the world, how ubiquitous yeah. it is for companies, states, regions, people to know that there is something called climate crisis and to actually undertake commitments. Um, think about the net zero uh, expression, the net zero goals. Mm -hmm. When we were negotiating Paris, it was completely unthinkable that we would be where we are in only, what is it, eight years from, from now? Mm -hmm. It was unthinkable that renewable energy would be the most 
um, installed a form of energy in the world only eight years from where we were in 2015. And so both trends are true. We are living in yeah. a reality where it's paradoxical, but it's both happening. It's we are moving along very far and at the same very fast. And at the same time, we aren't doing enough and we keep on depleting. And those two, that cognitive dissonance is, mm. is I think, the mark of our times. And we need to be really cautious to always look at both sides of that coin. Um, and so I would say that that's the first point to answer your question. The second mm. point is why you're asking why is there so much difference between the high level or international politics and the grassroots. Um, I'll start by a, a short anecdote. Last week I was talking to somebody who was describing what I was doing on, on sort of shifting culture. And I was saying, why do we keep on saying that there are some people working on the ground or at the grassroots level and some other people not on the ground as if we were mm. human people to be on an ivory tower and cognitive, like in our minds, yes, but in our bodies, no. Everyone is attracted by the force of gravity and everyone is walking on this earth, right? <laughs> everyone is a person. And I think the main reason why there is that dissonance is because we haven't really, all of us, come home to the fact that if a state is its people and a, a company is people. Um, a region is people. We're all humans embodied in our bodies. We have an embodied experience in our earth. And we have been living in a paradigm um, since the Enlightenment, basically, or, or even before, where we have privileged our mental abilities and they are extraordinary. We have come really far, but we have divorced. We are living in a paradigm of separation. We have divorced our mental, rational ability from our intuitive, embodied abilities. Um, and I think that's the main problem that we have forgotten that we are not just brains walking held by some sort of mushy thing, a body, but we actually are humans, all of us the same, all of us in a body that has an experience in the world. And so because we live in that separation paradigm, even humans separated from nature, for example, mm. mind separated from body, um, that we are separated and therefore we have the ability to relate to each other in an extractive way. I think it's because we understand ourselves as separated. And so we also separate the grassroots or the on the ground from the politics. And the politics is somewhere there in, in a cloud deciding for the world, rather than understanding that this transformation, this transition that we need to live through is starts from the deepest individual level and ripples out into the world. And so the very reason why there is so much cognitive dissonance, while, why, why we see that the, the climate community or those of us seeking to respond to the climate crisis are so frustrated because we feel that we do a lot and we still admit is because we are focusing our attention in the wrong places or not in the wrong places. We are focusing too much attention in all of the rational change of the economy that needs to happen. We need to reduce emissions. But we haven't looked enough at the changes we need to do within, within our spirits and our ways to understand ourselves in the world so that the change that in, unfolds from that is actually the change that changes, that, that addresses the way our civilization 
is defined and therefore why we emit in the first place. We emit in mm-hmm. the first place and our economies as it is in the first place because we are extractive, because we are relating to nature in a way that doesn't understand that we need to care for each other rather than extract for each other. We need to care for ourselves rather than extract from ourselves. So in that political mm. world, we still live in the paradigm of extractivism, separation, endless growth, um, and limitless energy, right? Change the source of energy and we will solve the crisis. Yeah. That's completely wrong. We will change the energy source and continue in a crisis because we will be depleting from the earth. And the only way to change that is to changing the way we understand ourselves in the deepest level. So that's where I think the cognitive dissonance comes from. And that's where I think our community, those of us that care for our planet and care for addressing or going through, I will say, rather than resolving the climate crisis, is Mm. that we have been contributing to the problem because the solutions and the way we work are based on that old paradigm. So as long as we don't understand that we need to change that paradigm for ourselves, stop burning out, stop thinking that we have it all solved with a brain capacity, then we won't be able to solve that cognitive dissonance, basically. And that's what MundoCon is all about, basically. That is fascinating. It reminds me of um, Ian McGilchrist's work on the left hemisphere and right hemisphere. Um, have you have you come across that? Yes. Well, I have heard about it. I don't know about him. <laughs> but that's another <laughs> sort of separation. That's another sort of separation, right? Science from art right? Our creative yeah. capacity from our rational capacity. There's all sorts of forms of separation that yeah. stem from that original um, want of I'm separate. Mm. Mm. I, something that came to mind when you were speaking as well was um, this idea of uh, the separation of the disembodied nature. And I wonder if those at high levels of institutions failed to sort of... Um, construct a new paradigm because they are disembodied by the very nature of being within an institution as opposed to being um, embedded within a community or embedded within a locale and in one environment. They are quite literally um, uprooted and put into sort of these rationalist um, ideological constructs and that's where they exist. And so perhaps then that's part of the reason why it's more difficult for them to become embodied in the changes that we need to make. Yeah, it's possible. We, It's possible that we, I mean, I was that, right? I've been that. <laughs> I've been there. Um, but I say that that is, I think I'm hopeful because I see that it is changing. I see that we are all longing for connection and mm. hungry for, for a different way of operating in the world mm-hmm. that is more respectful of what we remember because it's a memory. That we are as humans, mm. we're eager for having jobs that are more playful um, and mm. more caring for our energy, eager for jobs where or meeting spaces where we can express our emotions somehow rather than just be the rational human being that I'm supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I, I, I see that we uh, in general see people are eager for jobs that allow for more creativity. Wh- wherever you are, is it in a, in a big company or in a public service or or in an NGO or in a wherever. Um, and so that while that is true, I see that this is percolating softly uh, to all different sorts of places. Um, and I think it's not just the fact that you're in an institution, it's the kind of culture that we are um, 
let's say re re rehearsing and repeating and 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 nurturing because it's not that we are going to stop having institutions if we change the paradigm it's that our institutions will look different because we will have a different way of approaching ourselves and our way to relate to each other and our way to relate to an organization or an institution uh, we are social by nature we won't stop socializing we won't stop having social structures but the structures will look differently if we ourselves are different that's why i think the change really starts from our ourselves and how what we allow ourselves to do right we it's almost as if we were wearing some kind of costumes like i am wearing i am wearing now the civil servant costume so i need to be serious I need to be rational. I need to be productive. I need to work extra hours and deliver quickly a lot of things. But I'm the same me. <laughs> so I come out of the office and I want to play, connect, do other things. Why do we need to keep those worlds so separate? I think people are starting to dawn to the, to the fact that all of those costumes, they're costumes, but we're, we're all human. And we're all the same. We're all the same. We long for the same. We long for connectedness. We long for loving relationships and caring relationships. And so I think it's, it's starting. It's starting. It's different. I, I feel very different today than how it was that, you know, 10 or 20 years ago. Um, the, the kind of pe things people are allowing themselves in meetings, even in meetings of our own community, it's completely different. People are, allowing themselves to, okay, let's have a brief. Let's breathe first and then let's meet. <laughs> and that would have been completely unthinkable to 20 years ago or 15 years yeah. ago in the kind of work we do. I mean, I agree with you. I think that there is a real hunger for, for change and, a, and, and, and awareness of the necessity, right? Because our social fabric is eroding, essentially. But a problem that comes up time and time again is that... Oh, Communities are sort of denied access to the resources with which they can mobilize and organize and regain some kind of autonomy and create their own cultures, um, especially in nations whereby people don't know how to grow, like food security, they don't know how to grow their own food, you know, they can't provide their own housing, these kinds of things. And so they are dependent on a nation state that we are seeing is increasingly sort of um, uh, open about its disregard for, for its own citizens and the climate and ecological breakdown that's in many governments around the world. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm speaking as a British citizen. Our government is just mad. They've completely lost the plot. Mm -hmm. um, and so given, given the fact that this is an urgent problem, that we, it's, it's not just that we have to go through a cultural change because that would be good for us. We have to go through a cultural change because if we don't, we are facing ecological breakdown. The last synthesis report said that this is humanity's final warning. Yes. So given that we also have that time constraint and yes, the cultural changes take a long time, typically, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, can, can you speak to that? Where, where do we go? What, yes. what levers do we need to push urgently? Yes. Thank you for that beautiful question. The first answer is systems change is not linear. Mm. Time is not linear. Just as science have predicted, right, there are thresholds. The planet, when once we, you know, tip that threshold for the good or for the bad, change becomes exponential and you don't control it anymore. And we in the, in the climate space, we tend to think about those as in, in the very wrong way, right? Like 
methane escaping from the permafrost and then run away climate change. That's the classic way we, we think about nonlinear change. But let's remind ourselves that nonlinear change happens in the other way around too. Cultural change can be nonlinear. Think about the adoption of AI, the curve of it. It's, it's very, sometimes it feels very spooky, but it can also be shifted for the good. And I hope we're thinking already, all of us, about how to do that. ChatGPT was adopted in what, like a week? Had mi millions of, I don't remember the numbers, but it was the, the difference between the adoption of Facebook, TikTok, and ChatGPT is exponential. Mm. And that is a, like a very quick culture, cultural habit that is changing very rapidly. Culture can change very quickly. We have this idea that culture takes a long time to change. Mm. And yes, in a way it does. And in other ways it doesn't. We don't live in the era of slow change, of slow pace change anymore. And mm. so we need to remember that. That's the first point. The second point is, yes, we are in an emergency. We have very little time left. But the change we need can be done in seconds, right? It's a matter of attitude. It's a, it's, a, it's a matter of coming to a point of consciousness. I can relate to myself in a different way. And I can relate to the world in a different way. And obviously to get that, I, I, I don't say that I'm somewhere enlightened. Nobody is. I'm, I'm, I'm a human full of, you know, all the complexities that all of the humans have. But sometimes you can even hear one person speak and think, oh my gosh, this is different. I can understand this in a different way. I can relate to myself differently. Um, I, I was hearing a podcast the other day of a very interesting guy who was saying, do the experiment. Look at, look at someone else for two minutes in the eye. Just stay for the two minutes. It's just two minutes. Mm -hmm. And you will see the beauty of that other being emerge regardless of who this person is. It takes you two minutes. Two minutes, right? So yes, it's urgent. And because it's urgent, this is the paradox. We need to give ourselves the time to really feel because if we don't give ourselves the time to feel to listen to listen to ourselves to our intuition what we will end up doing is we're the hamster wheel of trying to solve it all with our brain right and we probably won't come to the solution it will be probably lo losing the precious time we have to reconnect it takes you two minutes to reconnect with another human being, right? And so we, what are the levers we need to touch? Thank you. This is an excellent question. This is what I've been grappling with recently. Um, my sensation is that, that it's a big responsibility that we all need to take very seriously ourselves. The first is how can we touch on those places where culture is expands quickly, right? how people are nurturing their own cultural understanding, their own identity. So for me, there's a big, big, big task for all the people who are telling stories, people who are in the media, people who are in the cultural entertainment, where people listen to the stories about how we are and who we are. That's probably the, and, and, and education. That's where, that's where we normally as humans consume information. It is a very interesting, we are very, in living in very interesting times. I was hearing 
um, these amazing people speak last week about information, how we consume information, how information spreads. Um, the fact that lies spread six times faster online facts <clears throat> and anger is the fastest emotion that spreads online. Um, but the only emotional feeling that spreads as fast as anger is inspiration. Inspiration. So it's our responsibility to touch on those fibers that inspire, right? It's not even a convincing. It's not a question of making people think differently. It's a question of inspiring, of reimagining a future that is inspiring, that reimagining a, a version of ourselves, a story of ourselves that is inspiring, that is not humans are ending, you know, ending the world. They are depleting everything. We are the worst species in the world. We're not. We're also the most beautiful one. We're also the most complex one. We are also the most biodiverse species. Did you know that humans have the most biodiverse gut? Just our gut is the most biodiverse mm -hmm. single organ in the entire planet, right? In the planet. Wow. And we have the most sophisticated brain capacity to synthesize information in the entire planet and with mm -hmm. the fastest and the one that connects, connects in the most sophisticated way. So yes, we have a big ability for being very sh shady, for a lot of obscurity in the bad sense of obscurity, for a lot of destruction, but our ability to emerge light is equally big. It's directly proportional. And so for me, the levers are in that spaces where culture is created and all of those spaces that work on our own personal transformation, the inner, more spiritual part of ourselves, of our understanding. Um, and obviously this does not mean, and I don't want to be misunder misunderstood, this does not mean that we stop working on all of the other important parts. We need to reduce emissions very quickly. We need to transform our economy very quickly. We need to transform all of the sectors of our economy. We need to, you know, all of that transition is very important, but we need to combine it. We need to stop separating it from our understanding of ourselves. We need to be more balanced, find more equilibrium in the two types of work that we're doing. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. It's so interesting because it, it's so obvious, right? That like culture, it, we live in paradigms that are essentially, you know, self-reproducing cultures. And so of course the culture needs to change. If you want to change the economic system, you have to change the culture. And I think another interesting point with what you're saying about, it, you know, starting with self is that certainly in like a globalized world, there aren't very many spaces left for autonomy and for community autonomy. And so, you know, especially in sort of like a technological world, corporations mm -hmm. live in our homes with us, governments live in our home with us. So the sort of the last sort of vestige of a private sphere in which one can hopefully make radical changes is within self. However, I do want to push back mm -hmm. and counter with, you know, the, the counter argument to that typically is, but if you break it down into individual change rather mm -hmm. than systems change that is a message that can be co-opted and has been co-opted yes, by has. corporations you Absolutely. know like you watch your carbon footprint very rather than us way. actually mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i fully agree with you it's not just a question about individual change it's a systemic change and corporations are essential states are essential mm -hmm. individuals are essential all of those levels are essential and i thank you for 
uh, it's, I don't think it's a pushback. It's a great red flag that all of the, any, any narrative can be co-opted for the wrong reasons. So, so, and it will happen. We need to be aware. It will continue to happen all of the time and it will continue to reemerge in many ways um, because we are able to reinvent ourselves infinitely. That's the capacity of life on earth. Um, mm -hmm. Is reinventing itself um, once and over again. I I I would say that although it it seems paradoxical, but when you look at reality, reality is fractal. Yeah, it's mm -hmm. almost like what we see in our societies is a reflection. What we see in a city is a reflection of of its inhabitants. What we see in a community is a reflection of people who are part of that community. And what we see in the world is a reflection of how we are ourselves inside. And this is, this is, um, this, this, this means that it's not that you need to forget the systemic vision to just focus on the individual. Because what I'm saying is the cultural shift we are looking at is not a cultural shift of becoming individually, more individualistic and autonomous is the opposite, is become more connected. It's understanding that we are interdependent. Mm -hmm. That we live in systems and not in isolation. That mm. there is no way any community, nobody, nobody can survive in a bubble by themselves. Not an individual, not a local community, not, not a municipality, not a city, not a country, nobody. Mm. We are constantly sustained, even when you think you're not, by so many beings. <laughs> constantly. Mm. So... It's yes, it is focusing on our spiritual dimension, but it's not to do it in isolation. It's to reconnect from there to the world that is sustaining life. So that is the and that is the only way to approach systemic change because there is no such a thing as some invisible hand lever um, at the global level that you can move like this and then suddenly mm. bam, everything changes. It's going to happen at all of those levels through the actions of human, not through the actions of even AI is an action, is a, is a human creation. That is a mm -hmm. human creation. Singularity of when AI sort of run away, artificial intelligence, it's a human creation, mm. right? So it, it, it will happen both at the individual level in connection with other humans and other beings more than human that are also collaborating with humans in whatever is happening in our world. And that's how it spreads systemically. But thinking that we can change the system only from above, I think is delusional. I think mm. that is the result of humans that are acting at that level, but they are human. Sure. I mean, I suppose I presented a binary of system versus individual as well, when in fact the system is made up of individuals, which are not actually individuals, but interconnected beings. Correct. And that is the way that the system self-propagates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, do you have a story? Do you have a, a vision for the future? Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, <laughs> thank you. That's a great challenge. It's <laughs> the first time someone asks me that. Yes, yes, yes. I, I did a, a really interesting experiment last week. There's many people working on sort of futures and reimagining mm -hmm. our, our futures. This is not nothing new and I'm not an expert on it. Um, but I did a really interesting uh, experiment with a, a bunch of people working on climate that was, let's tell 
together a story about 2050 when we have addressed the climate crisis. We have, we have addressed it. We have responded to it in a way that is not depleting or that is not fostering other crises. Um, and in a realistic way, not a utopian way. Mm -hmm. Because I think utopia uh, sparks skepticism and is not, is not necessarily very inspiring for, for many. For some, it's beautiful. For some, it's not. Uh, I think it's important to imagine the future with a realistic and optimistic. It's not that realism is pessimism. Not at all. But definitely, it's a choice not to imagine the future from a pessimistic point of view. And so I choose to imagine it from a realistic and optimistic point of view. Um, and, and the story is, we're going to have to clean up the mess a lot for a long time. But I do think and I do feel that I hope by 2050 I will still be alive. I hope so. If not, it's okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> but if I am... I'm hoping that by the middle of the century, this emergent, I think emergent new human way of being is a lot more present. It's not the only one, but it's so much more present that it, it starts becoming prevalent. I don't think this is a change that we will suddenly, oh, look, it's happening. But mm -hmm. we will probably turn back and say, wow, we are living in a, such a different way today than mm. how we were living in 2020. It's completely different. And in that vision, I think there are a few things that I would say there are characteristics that I see emerge. One is we are a lot more, we dedicate a lot more energy to our bonds in our communities, wherever that community mm. is. It's not mm. a community necessarily super rural or any community that, that you belong. We all belong to a community. Um, we pay a lot more attention to that. We, th there's a lot more emphasis in our local spheres of governance. I don't think that the all the way to the global will disappear, but I think that globalization will have stopped being homogenizing. Mm. And we will have probably started to understand that the beauty of interconnectedness in globalization is the fostering of diversity not the homogenization of culture. Mm -hmm. So that re-emergence of the local and of the connected to the territory, I think will be prevalent, will be much more widespread um, in the world. Um, and we will be struggling still. We, as I said, I think we're going to have to clean up for a long time. So ourselves, ourselves and our kids, we are going to have to be cleaning a lot. So I imagine... There's a lot of jobs and there's a lot of dedication to just to clean the cleaning up, um, and 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 that's going to be almost like a an a physical act of cleaning ecosystems. Mm -hmm. And that I don't know if you've felt this, but when you clean up with your hands, mm -hmm. it has a resonance in your own internal cleanup. So I feel that the humanity will be cleaning up a lot of stuff, mm -hmm. like a lot of trauma, and that's starting, but it will be a very active thing we do from here to there. Um, I will also imagine in that future that we will still be probably grappling with some dissonance and with pushback and with old paradigms wanting to cling 
and to say, no, it was better to have endless growth. We were better off. Uh, we were going to end poverty. <laughs> and I think we have started to <laughs> poverty differently, not because we don't want to mm. end it. I think we have made a huge progress. We've never been uh, so far, but we will really take it seriously that well-being is something else than just having resources and money. And so people will have different ambitions. Our our way of feeling whole will be not just based on power or fame, right? Or money. Our ways of feeling whole will focus more on how, what the quality of our relationships to the world. I think we will definitely be much more connected to the more than human world and much more, much more in many ways, much more. Um, definitely, I think that's big, a big part of this identity crisis. Um, and so that those are like big strokes of of how I imagine that. Um, but I would love to work more on 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 that story. Thank you for asking it. I will definitely do it. Uh, and getting from here to there, it's not going to be easy. Uh, nobody said mm-hmm. it's going to be easy, and it will take time. And I think it will feel like one of those curves where we go like a lot like this. Mm-hmm. And we are there, but it's like, uh, mm-hmm. and we need to not be discouraged by this. Uh, Right. Um, which, which I see is all right. We're already there. We're already in the, I see all of those things happening all at once. Yeah. But, but, but I, I will, I won't tell you, I mean, I choose to be optimistic and realistic, but I won't tell you that, that this completely annihilates my worry. Right. I, I don't think this mm-hmm. is a gift. I don't think, I don't think it will happen necessarily. I think it's something we have to work on. I think it's, it needs our dedication for sure. Yeah, absolutely. While I still have you then, can you give a sort of um, brief overview of what is happening politically in Latin America right now? Because from the outside, it looks quite exciting. You know, there's been sort of elections of left-wing environmentalists um, committed to protecting rainforests and people. And yeah, how is it on the inside? Yeah, thank you for the question. I think... It's important to know that nothing, as you were saying, you were binary in a binary way, polarizing individual versus system. We shouldn't be binary in a binary way, understanding left and right or good or bad mm. or any government, mm. any government. I think having a pro-environment narrative is positive, is important, is necessary, but is definitely not enough. And it's not good that this is combined with almost like schizophrenic policy on the inside, right? That is do- mm-hmm. undoing with your elbow, with your what you're trying to do with your hand, we say in Spanish. Okay. My sensation is that there's a lot of hypocrisy as well on both sides of the mm-hmm. political spectrum. Um, and, and that's unhelpful. I mean, when you look at it from, I can only speak for Colombia, where I'm from and where I live. Uh, my sensation is that the, there's a very good intentions to to do better on the environmental policy. And that's welcome, very welcome. Um, but, but at the same time, that narrative needs to be paired with a work that is honest in the 
difficulties of it and the fact that it needs to be inclusive of all, of all types of ideologies for it to be successful and for it to be mindful of what the economy, how the economy can react to those policies. Many times what I see is that even when there is a willingness to do a lot, because of the economic challenges that it poses, we don't end up really uh, living up to it. Because poverty is a very acute and very immediate challenge. So the best example is energy transition. I think many countries that are shifted to the left are keen. But the pace of it is not necessarily uh, as fast as as the discourse will want to to propose it precisely because economically is unfeasible. And so I think being honest about that is important. And I don't see that honesty um, all the way. I don't see that honesty. I don't see that transparency. Uh, so I think we are beyond left or right at this point. The, the swing to the left is just another swing, right? Mm-hmm. And so many times the very left or very right end up having very similar problems, very falling in very similar traps. Um, and that's not what will bring us there because both are polarizing, antagonizing, separating, right? Not uniting, connecting, making us more able to think together in the difference. So I'm not so optimistic with this swing because it's just another swing of the pendulous, right? Is that a word in English? Pendulum. Yeah. Pendulum. Um, to the other sides rather than I'm more of a of a in politics I'm more of a ra- radical center kind of person and I think that we're not there at all maybe the swing was necessary and we are facing huge challenges to 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 see that that narrative can be turned into reality everywhere so that's my own personal very personal opinion about that Mm, okay, it's interesting. I think it's very always very good to get sort of a an external perspective, uh, or rather an internal perspective, yeah. um, because it certainly looks like a lot more interesting uh, environmentalism and uh, climate policy is happening outside of the global north because these communities are on the front line. Um, however, when you can see the uh, continuation of globalization and trade and growth um indeed yes. it does call into question even those <laughs> even those policies yeah and i think it's it's positive change is positive right trying something out is mm. positive that's good it's good that we give ourselves a chance mm-hmm. to differently to look at the problem from another angle to see why our attempts fail from this angle and from this one too right to learn from all of that i think that's positive so when I say I'm not so optimistic, it doesn't mean that I think it's positive, but I do think that we need to be always taking perspective that it's another end. It's not yet, I feel it's not yet the politics of um the the, the politics of true true u- uh, unifying democracy. I think it is still mm-hmm. the politics of polarization. And that mm-hmm. in its essence is a problem. 
um, that we are still in the politics of polarization. And that's exactly the opposite of what we need, basically. Absolutely. But I mean, it seems like we will always be in the politics of polarization until we allow for deliberative democracy and proportional representation and all of these things, all of these which certain can only tools happen that are ready and waiting go, to be deployed. Right. Which can only happen when you go down to a level that is humanly, humanly graspable, mm -hmm. that is your local, mm -hmm. your local level. You can't really grasp an entire country, for God's sake. You can't yeah. even grasp an yeah. entire city. You can relate to your street. You understand it. You know exactly where the tree is or where the, you know, the pipes are or where the problems are. You know that. So you can mm. deliberate democratically on that. But the rest mm. is a little bit of an illusion. So that's why I was saying in that future, we really need to come back to the local level that we can grasp with our bodies, with our human scale. So mm -hmm. deliberate democracy, yes. Let's do it at a scale that makes sense. Um, yeah. Right? So, yeah, I agree. I think we can. We can absolutely yeah. move away from polarization. We have everything we need to do it. We are in the process. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, but we need to stop clinging to our old ideas about how things should be. Absolutely. Allow for I the emergence of the new. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Isabel. My final question for you is, who would you like to platform? Right. So my my proposed um, idea um, is uh, um, a person who uh, is from Colombia. Mm -hmm. And she is... Do, do you do translation, just in case? Maybe you can have a translator. Maybe. I don't know if she speaks English. <laughs> I can translate okay. Um, she's um, a musician um, okay. and she's uh, someone who is transforming the world of waste into cultural impact to change how people think. Um, she is a, lut a, a luthier, so she's producing all of her musical instruments out of waste. And oh, then wow. she is expanding... She's produced, produ producer of music, creator of music. She has a band and she's an educator of uh, schools and young people all over the country, all based on a new way of understanding what is waste. She's excellent. Her name is Andrea Latas, is her artistic name. And I would be delighted to introduce you to her. And if she oh, um, is not pro proficient in English, I'll be more than happy to translate if that's necessary. Completely oh, different. Isabel, thank person. you. Yeah. Thank you so much. This is such an inspiring conversation too. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you to you and all of the listeners that came all the way to here with us. If you want to learn more, I've put links to everything over on planetcritical.com where you can subscribe to support this podcast and read the weekly newsletter inspired by each interview. If you liked this episode, leave a review and share it far and wide. If you loved it, choose a paid subscription at planetcritical.com to join the community. As always, my deepest thanks to that community. Planet Critical wouldn't exist without your support. Thank you everyone for listening and for coming on this journey together.